In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, tell us the following. Now if a man committed a crime under the sentence of death, and he's put to death, and you hang him soon on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. He who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Now today, if you're following the transition of our meditations, we've come to meditate on how thine is the blessing. We're meditating on how the blessing belongs to Christ. And so we just read in this prophecy that he who hangs on a tree, is cursed. He's accursed of God. And so how is Christ, the blessed one, how is he, the one who is blessed, how does the blessing belong to him whenever we say, this man who hangs on the tree is accursed of God? Here we stumble upon another paradox. The same way we stumbled upon the paradox of God's power, and God's majesty and His glory. The paradox of the blessing that belongs to God. When we tell Him, Thine is the blessing, to you belongs the blessing, we find that it was His identification with our sin and the curse that belongs to humanity that He actually translated this blessing to humanity. In Galatians 3.13, St. Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Right? And so, St. Paul identified what was written in Deuteronomy with Christ. Now, before we talk about how he became a curse for us and what that really means, let's first talk about what it means to be blessed. What does the word blessed mean? And what does it mean to say, thine is the blessing, to you belongs the blessing, right? Do we just say, like, I give you a blessing, I make the sign of the cross, and you're blessed, and we walk away? What does that actually mean? A lot of times we say that without really understanding what it means to be blessed. For starters, it's not this sense of materialistic possessions. We say someone who is blessed in the world is typically someone who has a lot of possessions, right? I'm blessed, I have a lot of food, I have a lot of clothing, I have a nice house, I have a nice car. I'm blessed in that way, right? This is typically how the world identifies someone who's blessed. He's well off. He's got the blessings that keep him going. Now, even in a spiritual sense, we might misunderstand this and we say that the blessing comes in this idea of the prosperity gospel, right? I'm blessed because... My life is smooth. I'm blessed because I have a good family. You know, I have all of my needs met. And so God blesses me with the spiritual gifts, right? And we even go so far as to say is, the better my life is, the less crosses and struggles and afflictions in my life, the more blessed I am, which is a terrible way to look at Christianity. All right. To be blessed 
is to be favored. Okay? To be blessed is to be favored. To be favored by God. Okay? It's to be fortunate. It's to have the grace of God. Right? In Greek, the word for blessed is makarion. And in Hebrew, it's asher. It literally means happy. Right? So Leah, whenever she had her child from her servant Zilpah, because she was so happy, she felt blessed, she named her son Asher. Literally the word for blessed. She said, now everyone will see that I am blessed. Right? We even see throughout the Old Testament that the people who have children are blessed. Right? God gives you the fruit of your marriage, the fruit of your womb, that's in your children. And if a woman is barren, it's almost like she's cursed, right? So a blessing is this sense of fortunate status, this sense of having favor, God providing for you, okay? That's what it means to be blessed. Okay, now, if we think of this blessing in the sense of God's favor, it's not isolated to just having a nice life, right? If we say that the blessing belongs to God, we see that it ended on the cross, right? So it's not just that I have a big, happy, healthy family, all right? Now, before we come to meditate on the cross and the blessing in the cross, let's look at the condition of humanity before Christ was incarnate. Was humanity in a state of blessedness? Was humanity blessed? No. Humanity was on the other end. Humanity was actually living in the curse of sin. Okay? Humanity was crippled, right? There was nothing fortunate about the condition of humanity before Christ was incarnate, okay? So Christ came to actually reverse that. He came to transform the curse of sin to a blessing. And we even say in the Gregorian liturgy, you, O my master, have transformed the punishment into salvation, the curse into a blessing, Okay? And this is exactly why St. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. How did he redeem us from the curse? He became the curse itself. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And this was the only way for Christ to reverse this curse, to transform the curse into a blessing. This was prophesied in Zechariah 8.13. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Okay? I know you're in this status of a curse. I'm going to bring you to the status of blessedness. I will save you. I'll accomplish that. How? By identifying with that curse. Okay? Not by just coming and rejecting it. Not just by coming and setting it off to the side, throwing it down the pit, but 
entering into it himself, identifying with it to the extent that St. Paul says he became cursed. There's a difference between he was accursed, then he became cursed. He became cursed. He became sin. Right? He didn't just identify with our sins, but St. Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the extent of his identification with us. Father Thomas Hopko says, you can't get more defiled. You can't get more vile. You can't be treated more violently. You can't become more of a pollution to the land and the people. You can't be anything more horrid and corrupting than if you're a corpse hanging on a tree. And Christ really became a corpse hanging on a tree. So he really became a curse. He really identified with the sinners so much so that he not only dies because the wages of sin is death, but he dies by execution. He dies by being executed as a sinner. He becomes sin and is executed as a sinner and thereby becomes cursed because he is put to death by being hanged upon a tree. This is the extent of God's identification with our condition so that he might reverse that curse. Right? And trust me, nothing gets more cursed than the humiliation that Christ endured on the cross. To be hung on the cross naked and to be a dead corpse, they had to take him down because this dead corpse would actually defile the land. Like, this would be a source of defilement. Like, this is, like, the actual source of the curse. So you got to take it down. That's what he identified with. Now, Father Matthew the Poor meditates on how he became sin and curse for us. And he emphasizes how he wasn't accursed instead of us. He did not become sin instead of us. He didn't die instead of us. But on our behalf, there's a huge difference. He says, we therefore say, we suffer with him because he suffered for us and not instead of us. The same goes for death. We died with him because he died for our sake and not in our stead. Okay, so we don't say that he died in our stead. We don't say that he died instead of us. Therefore, Christ accepted the curse for our sake and not in our stead. For he died with us in him, but did not die in our place. Instead is a most serious error. So when we say he just died instead of us, it's almost like there's a sense of replacement. But when we say he died on our behalf, that we are with him, that he identifies with us, he is in us and we are in him. Okay? So what does that mean? That the only way for us to experience the transformation of the curse into a blessing is to also identify with the cross of Christ. Okay? Let me read that one more time because I want to make sure I didn't lose you here because this is where we're going to transition into a completely different direction. But for us to actually experience 
the blessing that belongs to God. When we say thine is the blessing, to you belongs the blessing. And that means we're saying you became a blessing by becoming a curse. And so we also will share in the very same blessedness by becoming accursed as well. Right? We identify with his status, with his condition. To be also crucified and rejected and despised by the world, to accept the curse that the world throws at us so that we can also share in the same blessedness. Does that make sense? In John seven forty nine, we see that the followers of Christ were also called accursed. And it's just like one short little verse that a lot of us might read it and just brush right over it. So, if we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ, we will be rejected, we will be despised, we will be humiliated, and we will be cursed by the world. But this is the only way, the one and only way for us to enter into the blessedness of His kingdom, for us to truly share in the blessings of Christ. Not for us to have a big wallet, a big house, an expensive car, a prestigious position, a big family with children, the same way in the Old Testament they thought that the more children you have, the more blessed you are. That's not what blessing is all about. Okay? Blessings come in the darkest moments of life. Blessings come in the most difficult, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our sufferings, in our afflictions. Listen to what Henry Nowen says. When we lose our job, when we have an abusive boss, when a car accident happens, when we're robbed, when we're seriously ill, when we have cancer, the immediate question is, why? That's the question that emerges. Why me? Why now? Why here? What have I done wrong? Why am I being punished? It's so difficult to live without an answer to this why. But if we're too focused and obsessed with finding the answers to these questions, if we're too focused and obsessed with finding the answers to these questions of the causes of these events, we're more likely to end up being angry and bitter. Bitterness will turn us away from God and thus we curse ourselves. I remember like a month ago we were in San Diego and we went into the restaurant while our bikes were locked up on our bike rack in the car. We come back out, I just see the lock broken, sitting on the ground, bikes are totally gone. <laughs> or the first thing that comes on our mind, my wife and I, why me? <laughs> like what did we wrong? Like we're cursed. And the last time we went to San Diego, the strap of our bike rack broke off and our bikes just flew out into the street. <laughs> so we're never going to San Diego again with our bikes. <laughs> but it's just like, why me? Like, I'm cursed. Like, the, the same thing keeps happening. And every time I go from one job to the next, it's a struggle. Every time I serve, I enter into the same conflicts. Every time I deal with this person or that person, it's another fight. Every time that I go to pray, I am bored out of my mind. Like, we feel hopeless. We feel cursed. 
But we actually do that to ourselves whenever we adopt this mindset, and we got to be careful. I emphasized throughout the last couple of days that the cross is not the road to power, but it's the road of power. Last night I said that the cross is not the road to glory and majesty, but the road of glory and majesty. And guess what? The cross is not the road to blessing, but it's the road of blessings. It's in the cross that we find the blessings that belong to God as well, translated to us. It's not something that just happens later, and yes, we'll experience the blessed state of heaven, of course. There is a resurrection that we will enjoy. But I don't want to just limit the blessedness that is so accessible to us just to a future event. It's accessible to us here and now. First Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Notice he didn't say you will be blessed. There's a huge difference. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. In the moment, you are blessed. Christ says in Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. When they curse you. Not blessed are you after you walk away and you catch your breath from the beating and then you can finally experience the blessing. No. When you are blessed. When you are cursed, you are blessed. Now we have to be deliberate about claiming that blessedness. We have to be deliberate by believing this concept and actually pursuing the blessings that are hidden in the curses of our life. The blessings that are hidden in the afflictions, in the crosses of our life. We have to be deliberate about finding them. Henry Nolan says, Jesus came to bless us, not to curse us. But we must choose to receive that blessing and hand it on to others. Blessings and curses are always placed in front of us. We are to choose. God says, choose the blessing. All right? And so every child, every affliction can remain as a curse, or if you look at it through the cross, it's transformed into a blessing. And I'm telling you, the biggest growth in my life has always been in afflictions, in the biggest curses, in the crosses. That's precisely where God wants to bless us. St. Gregory of Nizianza says, look at it in this manner. That as for my sake, he was called a curse who destroyed my curse, and sin who takes away the sin of the world, and became a new Adam to take place of the old. All right, so he says, look at it in this manner. That as for my sake, He was called a curse. I love the way St. Gregory puts it here because it becomes personal when we look at it that way. That this is a personal message from God. This is 
like a personal delivery, like here, this cross, just for you. <laughs> like Amazon Prime, two-day shipping, a cross coming right at your door, right, right for you. So if you want to actually benefit from the blessings that are all over everywhere in our life, then you got to see them as personally attributed to you, right? Not just like, oh, this is another person's problem. This is another struggle. At work, whatever. In the church, this is... No, no, no. These struggles are coming to bless you personally. And unless you actually direct your, your mind and your thoughts and your gaze towards them, they'll just pass right by. Same way Zacchaeus saw that Christ was passing by and he went to intercept him on that path. He climbed up on the tree, says, I'm going to claim this blessing. Christ isn't going to just pass me by. And that's why as soon as he saw him climbed up on the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down tonight. I must stay in your house. So it's almost like this intentional mindset that allows us to have the blessings that are hidden in the cross. Otherwise, Every cross just comes, we get knocked around, we're bitter, and then after all that we say, life sucks. <laughs> right? Off to the next struggle. And we just, oh, how's life? I'm getting by. <laughs> we're not living to survive, we're living to thrive. And we can only thrive by claiming the blessings that are hidden in the crosses of our life. I want you to think of Jacob. Okay. Joseph finally went back to his dad. Jacob was rejoicing. He was excited that his son, who was thought to be dead, was actually alive. And so there's this beautiful family reunion. Joseph brings his two sons so that his dad can bless them. Okay? At this point, Jacob is blind. Right, so he's sitting on the chair. I want to pretend like I'm sitting just so I can actually take a break, not to actually demonstrate. <laughs> but as he's sitting, Joseph brings his son Manasseh and his son Ephraim. Okay, who is the elder? Manasseh or Ephraim? You got a 50-50, throw something at me just to make sure you're alive. Manasseh, good. <laughs> so, again, Israel is blind. So, he tells his son, bring them to me so that I could bless them. And so Joseph brings Manasseh, the elder, to Israel, Jacob's right hand. Okay, that's the elder. And the right hand is the hand of blessing. The right hand of the Lord reigns mightily. This is the, the arm of strength and authority and blessing and righteousness and all of that good stuff. So it's going to his right hand. Ephraim, he's a good guy, but he's the younger. He doesn't get the first blessing. <laughs> so where does he go? To Jacob's left hand. So Jacob, as blind as he is, goes to bless them, but he does this thing. Joseph's like, whoa. <laughs> Not so, my father, but Manasseh is the elder. Listen to what he tells him. His father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. 
he also shall become a people, talking about Manasseh, the elder who is to receive the first blessing, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He went to bless Ephraim, the younger, with the blessing that belongs to the firstborn. Now, Ephraim is a good man, but if we're really to identify what it means to be the second or third or fourth son, it's really like the scraps. <laughs> That's how it is. If you're not the first, then you lost. <laughs> so Ephraim identifies with the Gentiles, the outcasts, the people who are despised, and in a sense we can say the people that are cursed. Right? These are the people who weren't God's chosen nation. The outcasts like the Samaritan and how she felt like an outcast, like she was ashamed to even to go out in public. And so Jacob decides to bless Ephraim with the blessing that belongs to the son, the firstborn Manasseh. Why does he do this? What does this look like? The cross. He could have just, you know, blessed him with his right hand, okay? After that first blessing is over, I go and I bless him with the left. No, he blessed them at the same time together, crossing his arms, because the scriptures wanted to reveal the mystery that it is in the cross that we find the blessing that belongs to us. And so Jacob blessed his son through the cross the same way that the Father blesses us through Christ, through the cross of Christ, through this curse. Now I just want to leave you with this thought, that there is no blessing apart from the cross. Every other blessing that comes our way is either trivial or superficial if it just comes from the world. If it's all just money and it's all just prestigious positions and it's all just one higher status to another, we don't take that with us into eternity. What we take with us is the blessing of our knowledge of Christ. What greater blessing is to know God? What greater blessing than to be in His house? What greater blessing than to walk in his shoes? Although it seems a bit bitter, it seems difficult, but I'm telling you, there is no greater blessing than to be crucified with Christ. And we will claim that blessing if we buy into this. If we actually believe it, then next time the cross comes and it's within arm's reach, we're not going to turn away, we're actually going to pursue it. May God give us the grace to understand what real blessing is. That to God belongs all the blessings. And that we may also share in that same blessedness and to glorify Him by our crucifixion with Him. And to God is due all glory forever. Amen.